Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Linda Pressman. Linda is the author of the recently published memoir, Jewish Girls Gone Wild. Her previous memoir, Looking Up, a memoir of sisters, survivors, and Skokie, won the grand prize in the Writer's Digest 20th Annual Contest and is part of the permanent collections of Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, the U.S. Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and the National Library of Israel. Her freelance writing has appeared in Newsweek, in Feller, in Motherwell Magazine, Six Hens, and others. She's a book coach and teaches memoir on an individual basis and through Scottsdale Arts. So welcome, Linda. Thank you, Meryl. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. And the first thing I want to say is that I read your memoir, Jewish Girls Gone Wild, and I found it very captivating. And I'm excited to have this opportunity to speak with you because I have lots of questions. Oh, good. So so why don't, uh, first, why don't you give us a brief summary of Jewish Girls Gone Wild for those who haven't read it yet? Jewish Girls Gone Wild starts in 1973 when I am 13 years old and I'm in the back of my family station wagon moving from Skokie, Illinois to Scottsdale, Arizona. And it was a Scottsdale, Arizona that was very rural, filled with cowboys and churches and hay bales and feed stores. And um, it takes off exactly where my first memoir ended, on the road. And Basically, we transport ourselves, a family of two Holocaust survivor parents who are in uh, some type of heavy camouflage where they can kind of morph to meet everybody's expectation, and um, they're seven daughters. And so I'm number six out of seven, and we get to Arizona, and I always think that, you know, the place we left behind changed behind us because um, we we left and then we changed the place we came towards because Scottsdale now is very different, not not rural. And um, yeah, and so my family, the reason why I called it Jewish Girls Gone Wild um, is because when we drove on that highway, something changed in our family. And when we got to Scottsdale, we were different. And in some ways we broke apart and then we also figured out how to get back together. But it was um, a definite change. We weren't the Skokie version of our family anymore. We were the Arizona adapted and modified version. So um, what what inspired you to, to share this deeply personal story? Because it is very personal. Yeah. Um, Well, I think originally I always knew I had a book in me, Um, but it turned out once I started taking writing classes that it was either a thousand page book (laughs) or it was two books, right? Or or maybe three books. Um, 
Yeah, either way, I, I can't say when I started writing that I thought I would um, write about first sexual experiences or my experience with shoplifting. But I do know that the more deeply I became embedded in the world of memoir and in the power of even writing humiliating experiences, that um, it just became um, more like, why not tell the truth and and connect and stop being embarrassed of the past because you almost can't write memoir while you know for me I can't write it if I'm trying to hide so yeah that's what I wanted to ask you though why did you you know choose that genre and just not fictionalize it you know I I just Mm -hmm. saw uh Steven Spielberg's um new film the the fablemans which is a you know lightly fictionalized um version of his childhood did did you give any thought to to fictionalizing it or or it always had to be memoir no yeah it always had to be memoir um you know from the minute i took my first class which was in 2001 i walked into the classroom and i knew i had this a book, some story in me. And um, however, I had had the personal pronoun I like beaten out of me in eighth grade when I first came out of here. So I had no idea how to start it. I started it as fiction so many times and it would just die on the page. And then once my professor said, you can use the word I and you should put yourself in the story the whole thing took off. The story like arranged itself before me. I found my voice when I used that. Um, yeah. And, um, and you know, there was like this humor that came out by embodying that person, you know, whether I'm the 14 year old or it's the first book and I'm an eight year old. Um, there's something about reenacting that person who lived through it with all of uh, all the stupidity and all the mistakes and all of the learning experiences um, that that's very powerful to me. I don't I don't know how to write fiction. I, I can't do it. I've taken classes. It's just not how my brain is arranged for writing. Interesting. So tell us about the title. <laughs> very oh, okay. <laughs> powerful and pregnant title. I think yeah. girls gone wild. I know. Tell I us know. about that. Yeah. I mean, obviously I picked it to be a pun or um, you know, just some funny um kind of play on girls gone wild. Right. Um, Of course, my book is not as scandalous as any of the girls gone wild things. And um, and so, you know, I I knew I would be self-publishing and I wanted to have a title that made people want to pick it up and be curious about it. It's you know, it's ended up being a little bit of a double edged sword because it has such a Jewish title. And there are mainstream outlets that won't, there are even Jewish outlets that won't feature me because it's too Jewishy. And I I feel like um, looking up my former book with the more bland title, which was very bland, um, got a lot more attention because um, people weren't either afraid of what might be in it, or they might be expecting too much and not get that. Did you have to do any research for your book? Um, yeah, I did a lot of research. I originally had 
probably four pages of all of my research. I was a undergrad and grad student in history. And so I tend to be very picky about historical facts. So even double checking myself and in the first book, double checking my mother and her Holocaust story and, you know, the details. But yeah, I did a lot of research because, you know, sometimes memory is faulty. And, and so I, I looked up everything from home builders in Scottsdale in the 70s to the car models, to um, the history of the schools I went to, um, you know, the land plats for the developments because it was so rural. Um, I, I don't know. There's, there's, I, I, there were just pages and pages of everything I had looked up. Um, you know, the ending, there's like a story towards the end when my mom and I go to California and I looked up her friends in California who yeah. had such tragic Holocaust histories. And I looked up all of their information and there was a vast amount at the U.S. Holocaust, you know, museum archives. And um, yeah, it was pretty devastating, really, because I think part of me was still thinking, why did they handle safety worse than my parents? And then when I read their story and saw their donated documents, it, it was pretty devastating. So yeah, my research went far and wide. I just couldn't fit it in because yeah. I had set the cover size and I, I could not fit three more pages. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you feel a special responsibility because you were writing not only about your own family experience, but but also about the Holocaust? Yeah, I mean, I, I have felt since the beginning, since I accepted that I have to put the Holocaust in my work, because I can't have like a Holocaust survivor set of parents without giving some answer to what they went through. Um, but it's been very important to me to say what happened after. Okay. Um, my first book answers, you know, the question of what they went through and how how much I struggle with their history as a kid. Um, but my ultimate intent is that I think there, there's a whole area of this Holocaust thing that people don't normally talk about. And it's like, what happened then? What kind of parents were they? Don't give me just the war story, because every war story is an absolute miracle if somebody survived a killing machine. Um, you know, but tell me, you know, I mean, there were so many suicides among Holocaust survivors, and there were so many people who came out with no family. Right. And, and my family was so, you know, my parents were so adaptable. I mean, my dad became a Polish cowboy in Arizona. You saw that in the book. <laughs> yeah. did. Did, I, did you ever ask them why they had seven children? Oh, yeah. I asked my mom and my mom just loved having kids. I, I think in some ways she was trying to recreate the Jewish people as if well, the seven of us would have seven children each or something, mm -hmm. you know, um, but I also joke in the first book that, you know, maybe her diaphragm instructions, you know, if they'd been in Yiddish, maybe she <laughs> would have figured out, you don't buy the diaphragm and put it in your top drawer. You actually have to use it. Mm. And um, yeah, she and my dad had many disagreements about that. Because he wasn't interested in daughters, to be honest. And with the um, seventh child, he didn't want to continue the pregnancy. But, um, you know, my mother just did what she wanted. And she loved having seven daughters. Yeah. Wow. So so what's been the reaction of your family to the book? 
were you concerned about anyone in particular reading the book? Well, I think that when I first began writing, my family was very flipped out about me writing, um, mm -hmm. except for a couple sisters who are very supportive. Otherwise, I would say now they just ignore me. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but it's something very strange. When I'm writing my story, I'm at a different position in the family, right? Like mm -hmm. when my father died, I, I'm, I'm not even there. I'm not at the place, you know, where he passed away. But there are other sisters who are eyewitnesses. So it's a great example of how much a memoir can be different for every single person in the room. And, right. um, and so, you know, I think they find it disconcerting sometimes. Uh, my view on it might be different than theirs, but they have learned to allow me my space. But it's not like when I have a presentation, I don't, I don't tell them about it, to be perfectly honest. I am, um, you know, um, it's just one of the dynamics of our family that we kind of I think we tiptoe around it. And um, and I still tell the very supportive sister, but nobody nobody tells me not to write. So um I'm interested um in the family you you created. Uh, you have your own children. Um how did they react to the book? Oh, well, they don't read my books. <laughs> and it's like it's very funny because. I was I was trying to wait till they were out of high school to get this book done, which I did. But <laughs> if I'd known that they weren't even going to read it, you know, I didn't want to be a bad example. Oh, is I, that funny? Yeah. Yeah. I've, of course, raised my children very differently than how I was raised. And um, and so, um, yeah, they you know, I mean, I remember the day I held up the first copy of my book to my um, second kid. Um, in the car, and it was like a really exciting moment. And and they're helpful and everything. Um, you know, I just say that, uh, I don't know, you know, it, it's always like that with memoir, the people you expect to read it and drive you crazy about it, they don't even read it. And then the people that you don't even know would have it on their wavelength, they read it and they contact you. And then so the other people like buy it and leave it on their nightstand or something. Yeah. So I'm really interested. Um, how did your upbringing though impact how you raise your own children? Oh yeah, vastly, vastly. I mean, um, that moment when I was arrested for shoplifting, that moment was like pivotal, and I I became so squeaky clean on um on honesty and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So when, when I had my kids, I had already been through a first marriage and I realized that I had this, um, I had like a Jewish awakening. Um, I think I, you know, you saw in the book where there was yes, like that moment. Yeah. Your, yeah. your aunt and uncle's home, right? <clears throat> yes. Yes. That. And also when I was in that bookstore and the, um, the little Talmud book kind of rotated on the rack towards me and, um, my family, we were like experimenting with everything on the planet. I don't think we ever would have thought of going to Judaism for our spiritual needs. But from that time, from the age of 17 until I walked into a halal in 2021, I mean, I'm sorry, gosh, where am I? 1981. Did I say yeah. the right date? Yeah, 17 years old. And um, and 1981, I, I was longing 
for more Judaism. So I became like a campus Zionist leader mm-hmm. at um, Arizona State University. Mm-hmm. And I traveled to Israel and I traveled to conferences all over the country. And, you know, when you are exposed to some of those thoughts and about how it's no mistake that we're still here, that we as a people are still here. That was, I mean, that was some really powerful stuff through the American Zionist Youth Foundation back then. And right. so I got married to the first husband, I think because I was afraid. But then yeah. when I got divorced, I was like, look, I'm going to join Jewish singles. I'm going to like run it if I have to. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get everything. I'm going to get the chuppah. I'm going to get, you know, the ketubah. I'm going to get everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when, when we had kids, yeah, we, um, you know, we did everything. Yeah. We did everything, um, in the Jewish community. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a huge part of my life. I mean, now it's been 40 years <laughs> since I, um, have been back in, but you know, that, that first 20 years with the ignorance and the unknown, and I don't know how to pray in synagogue, and I don't know how to hold a siddur, you know, that that stuff stays with you. So why was it important um, for you to include this in the book? Um, include the... Um, Your journey the, back to Judaism. Oh, yeah. Well, to me, this is, um, you know, it's a coming of age story, of course, but it's also, it's a Jewish book, Okay. And as a Jew who believes in Judaism, I'm not Orthodox, I'm conservative, but, you know, I I feel like the Holocaust crushed Judaism in many ways. And it's very troubling to me that while Hitler ultimately lost um, the mere existence of something as pivotal as the Holocaust has raised an entire generation of Jews who are atheists. And at best, they're agnostics. And so I wanted to tell my story of coming from that and that I I am as close to the Holocaust as you could be without being a survivor. Mm-hmm. And and I believe, and I I believe I I somehow believe in the dichotomy that both are true. Um, yeah. And so that's a journey. And and um, so I have my own little um you know, my own little ax to grind that I feel like this is important to talk about coming back to Judaism, the Judaism being is an option. You know, I didn't have to be a reborn Christian, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, I didn't, you know, there was a lot of meaning and, and amazing um, connection in being part of Jewish life. There, are, there has been. And um, so I put that in there. It was important for me also because leading into the next book, I, you know, this Jewish journey continues. And when I'm at my first college, like from 78 till I transferred in 81, I, there was like um, some kind of force field around the Hillel and I could not walk in. I just would like, I want to go. I want to go, but I can't go. I want to go, but I can't go. And finally, when I transferred colleges, I was like, I'm going to go or die because mm-hmm. it felt like I had like the Pindula Yid or the Nishama inside of me telling me you have to do this. Interesting. So how do you compare, and, and we're talking about six sisters, so you don't have to tell us about all of them, but how do you compare the impact um, of your parents' 
Holocaust experiences on you as opposed um, to your sisters? Because I know that it can be very yeah. different in families. You know, you grow up in the same environment with with different uh, parents, and yet you can have very, very yeah. different reactions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say that being at the bottom end of the sisters helped me a lot because my parents um, were very much immigrants um, in 1952 when my oldest sister was born. And mm -hmm. so my oldest three sisters grew up speaking Yiddish. And then, you know, the 50s was not a great time to show up at a elementary school speaking Yiddish <laughs> or, right. or any other language. Right, and so right. it was crushed out of them. By the time I'm born in 1960, the family has become very Americanized. Okay. Mm. My mom, I mean, I used to ask her about this. I'd say, do you dream in English or do you dream in mm. Yiddish? And she'd say, I dream in English. That's a mm. good title. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so anyway, the, my, my mom talked nonstop about the Holocaust. It always felt like my whole life with her until she got Alzheimer's. If I brought up anything, I mean, it doesn't matter how disparate the topic was, she would figure out a way to bring in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And it had a very bad effect on the ability to carry Judaism forward. Okay. Mm -hmm. When she would start talking, we would, um, you know, there'd be seven sisters fleeing out of the doors of the house and, um, and me too. Okay. And then I basically, um, for some reason, you know, the, it didn't make me want to be less Jewish, but I'd say that my sisters don't, they, they feel very uncomfortable with Judaism when my mom was, yeah, um, uh, yeah, um, I'd say probably uh, maybe a couple could stand to be in a room with a rabbi, maybe not. When mm -hmm. my mom was dying, um, we had called a Chabad rabbi that we're close with, and we had a, a congregational rabbi that we're very close with. And I warned my sisters and they like ran off. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So so, yeah, I mean, this idea of, you know, the parents who don't talk and the parents who do talk, there's damage either way. And and my mother talked so much that like like I have come to believe that you can't transmit Judaism through fear of the anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. You know, Judaism has to be passed on like whole. And so. So this was the effect. And then I had that spiritual awakening, you know, at the, at my aunt's house and at the, the bookstore and, um, it changed me. And that has been an awkward journey for my family and you, you know, can like you my husband. Yeah. We gave up shellfish and pork and nobody wanted to respect it. And, um, and my kids have been raised a different way and it's hard to see sometimes really. So can you compare and contrast a little bit your parents' uh, approach to dealing with their traumatic past um, compared to your aunts and uncles? Oh, yeah. Um, my parents were, um, I think they were attracted to each other for their um, kind of atheism or at best a type of um, acknowledgement of God, but God had turned his back on the Jews, so they were going to turn their back on him. 
which is a type of belief because you believe that he he didn't do anything for, you know like um god would be there um but um so they you know i grew up in a household with bacon i i thought bacon was jewish and pork was not mm-hmm. and i thought nobody would drink milk with meat so there were there were some little vestiges of it mm-hmm. um my one aunt who I went to visit um she was Hungarian and she came over after the Hungarian revolution and she was married to my dad's younger brother and um she raised a family that went from more secular to much more orthodox by the time my extra cousin was born you know like a good 17 years younger than my cousin who was like almost my age um yeah she is like he's not going to public school he's going to you know a day school and and this is what she was going to do and she you know it's interesting one of her sons has made aliyah and uh, the other two sons are Orthodox. And then the my cousin, um, who I was so close to, um, I'd say, um, I mean, she's not Orthodox, but you know, this all matters a lot to her. Um, okay, and then the other ones, yeah, I'd say that um, among their siblings, you know, it's hard to say. My dad had five, five siblings in all. And, um, the, uh, you know, everybody had bar mitzvahs, you know, I'd say only my aunt, the aunt I wrote about really became Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and there were, you know, there's, you know, we're in America and everybody is um, kind of assimilating. It's an easy assimilation, right? right. So, um, you know, I remember when it was like scandalous that one of my cousins had intermarried and now it's like scandalous if anybody finds somebody Jewish. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so you you know you you shared this story very very freely and honestly. I'm just one wondering were there things you felt you had to leave out of it? Um. Well, yeah. I don't expect I, you to tell us what they are. <laughs> oh no no yeah yeah. Well, so as a memoir writer, I know that I'm allowed my story. Okay. I'm also allowed to write the truth, but I'm not allowed to um, invade somebody's privacy. Okay. Mm. So many of the uh, wild things that perhaps some of my sisters did, those couldn't make it into the book. Mm. It's simply not, I'm not allowed to do it like legally or even morally. I always try to write, um, you know, I, I ask myself, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And, and I obey that. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there are always some details. You just can't get to everything. I always think I, I probably have three times the material for each book I create. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how um, Anne Lamott always said that you have to kill your babies. Right. And some of the, yeah, some of the stories that I loved, I, I couldn't fit in. And, um, and then I, some of the stories I didn't really want to talk about, like, like, um, kind of feeling that I was converted to Christianity um, mm-hmm. after my hospital experience. I did not want to have that anywhere near it. I didn't want to have the shoplifting scene there. And I didn't want to have the virginity thing there. Mm. Um, but those were my stories to tell. And I don't think um, that that they're that uncommon 
to teenagers, right. at least one part of it. For me to have all three is a big win. <laughs> but you know, but let's say people have contacted me and say they can yes. relate. They can relate to it to the seventies thing and the, right. you know, yeah, yeah. So, so right. what did writing this book mean to you? Well, you know, it, at some level, I write memoir to let people live on the page again. And it was very important to me to put my mom on the page when she became a, you know, she's one of the Jewish girls gone wild, right? Mm -hmm. After my dad passes away. Definitely. And she, yeah. And I wanted to have her in there, you know, her journey from being, um, uh, an immigrant with a little hat and a net over half of her face, pushing a stroller in Chicago, not knowing English, to becoming um, a very successful real estate agent, mm -hmm. but who chose to work with less um, less wealthy clients because she wanted to get every person into a house. Like to me, that was letting her live on the page again. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, a lot of this is that um, sometimes I feel these people kind of clamoring around in my head, wanting to like, like have their day, you know, not to be forgotten. Right. And How in the first think book, they would have felt about it. I'm sorry. Oh, I think they would have loved it. As a matter of fact, this, this was kind of an interesting effect. I've always been uh, pretty frightened about writing about my aunt in Chicago and, and um, somehow the family is extremely touched about their family in the late 70s having been recreated in my book. Mm. And, and my aunt is not doing well. And my uncle is not doing well. I mean, this is many years later. And, um, and they love it. They, they love, I, I don't know, you know, it's a, it's a power of memoir that I didn't really anticipate because I was so fearful. Like she always would contact me about everything I wrote and I'd always be like, oh my God, is she going to tell me I got it wrong or, you know, yeah. um, but they have loved this image of their family at a particular time and moment. Well, it is, it is a beautiful, it is a beautiful <laughs> image and it is definitely <laughs> a turning point and it's, uh, it's beautiful. So yeah, I, I would think I they mean, would like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really had no idea. I, you know, I just tried to tell the truth about what it was like. You know, I was here from a family back here. We knew that everybody thought we were going wild here and we were, you know, right. and here and there people would pick my brains and I was like an open book. I, I didn't know how not to give them what they wanted. And I don't mean my aunts so much as the other aunts. And, um, and so, um, yeah, I, you know, it was, it was tricky. I mean, even contacting that side of the family was tricky because we had such a strong feeling about after our father died, nobody showed up for us. Mm -hmm. But I truly have come to believe that my dad had painted such a picture of our prosperity that they had no idea that we had no money, no yeah. idea. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, that's my own work, you know, that's my own journey that led me to be able to pick up the phone book and call everybody and then have this connection that's lasted so many years. Wow. That's great. Well, we are, uh, we're, we're running out of time now. I, I just wanted to, uh, uh, do you want to tell us what's next for you? Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I don't, 
think my next book is going to pick up on the day I get dropped off at college, <laughs> which would be how these first two books connected. Um, you know, I, um, I think I'm going to start it in the Little White Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas, where I get married to my first husband, who is a Catholic. That's where you got yeah. married the first time? Wow. Yes, we were we were actually living in Las Vegas, which was another problem because because he just kept trying to get me away from my family. And you Did can imagine what my kind of family. impersonator marry you? Um, yeah, no, not an Elvis impersonator. But let me tell you, it was a minister and I was yes. flipped out because I was that Jewish, you know, I was a Zionist already. And um, I told the minister, you can sign the marriage certificate with just Dr. So-and-so, but I cannot be married by a minister. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was horrible. And um, so anyway, so it starts there and then I'm going to do a backstory. Okay. So I'm going to do a backstory about how I end up, you know, there. Because that's a very, um, you know what I mean? Not everybody gets married at the little white wedding chapel in Las Vegas. <laughs> right. And especially Jewish girls from Chicago who have two Holocaust survivor parents. Mm. And um, and here's my Catholic husband. And I'm walking down this horrible little chintzy like aisle thing with fake um, plastic flowers in my hand. And mm. I'm thinking, run for your life. But you know, the idea of becoming strong enough to demand what I wanted and to get what I wanted and to stop settling, that's part of that story. Well, that I look, we look forward, I look forward <laughs> to reading that. That should be, that Thanks, should be a really good one also. So Linda, where can people find you online? Oh, so I have a website, which is lindajpressman.com. And um, my books are available on Amazon and various other independent sellers. I'm a freelance writer. And so, um, yeah, I just had a big piece in Newsweek this weekend, as you mentioned in the bio. And uh, I'm on Facebook and I have a Facebook page, Linda Pressman Author. And yeah, I can send out books that are signed and I can send out book plates and bookmarks and, you know, all that. I'm a regular business. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we conclude? Um, no, I think we covered it. Thank you so much, Meryl. I really appreciate you loving the book. It means so much. I, I really did. Okay, so thanks so much for joining us today, Linda Pressman. The book is Jewish Girls Gone Wild. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. The sequel to my debut novel, The Takeaway Men, entitled Shadows We Carry, will be out on April 25th. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylane.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book. <laughs>